Well, today we want to uh, continue in 1 John. Okay, that's toward the end of the New Covenant. All right, toward the end of the New Covenant. And you know, it's interesting that um, many times in a Messianic uh, Jewish congregation, you don't always hear the, what we say, the, the whole counsel of God. What I mean by that is, you don't, uh, and well, this is true in most churches, frankly, uh, that you don't hear the whole Bible being taught, usually. Maybe, but not always. But uh, the way we operate here, outside of holidays and special events and things like that, which does take up a good portion of the year, you know, uh, we go through books of the Bible. And every single one of them uh, is, uh, is important. And we have different avenues of learning here. You know, we have MSI. Uh, uh, then we have our uh, Chavura groups. And uh, we have the early morning Shabbat uh, Bible study Chavura. We have the Tuesday night. We have Wednesday morning men and, and Wednesday morning women. Not to mention lots of little groupings of us who meet and study the Bible over varieties of coffee products in varieties of local establishments. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, so we do our best uh, to stay in the Word because that is certainly our anchor. But, you know, when you think of 1 John, 1 John, 1 John, you know, when was the last time you really thought, well, okay, I'm going to go to uh, Beth something, you know, or uh, a dot or tikvat something or some messianic congregation. And I know they're going to be teaching from this. Uh, usually it's the Torah portion, uh, but it's our conviction here, and it has always been, frankly, uh, that uh, we do teach the Torah portion. But uh, it's very important for all of us when the biggest group of us meet, which is in our service, uh, that uh, over the course of time, we hear as much as possible from uh, uh, the, the whole Bible. And not only uh, just skimming the top, but we do our best to really understand what's going on in the text, uh, and hopefully it spurs us to further study. It's sad that 1 John is not uh, part of our regular Messianic readings, because he talks about the beginning, and he talks about not a new commandment, uh, and lots of things that relate to his life. You know, John was a Jewish man, and now he was quite old, quite, quite old in his life when he wrote this. Uh, but his point of reference, as is everybody in the Bible, and certainly in the New Covenant, the point of reference is, you know, the, 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 the Torah leading pointing to Messiah, Messiah has come, and now the Messiah of Israel is in our midst. And how do we handle uh, embracing the Messiah of Israel if we're Gentile? How do we handle embracing the Messiah of Israel if we're Jewish? How do we uh, handle the uh, embracing of the Messiah of Israel now understanding this full of revelation that he is indeed the very enfleshment of God? Uh, how do we do all that? Uh, and that's what we read in the, uh, you know, in, in the New Covenant. So we started a few weeks ago, uh, and we talked about how, how this relates to the Gospel of John, uh, right? At the you know, it, what was true from the beginning, he says here. Uh, and then in John 1, you read in the beginning, right? And the beginning, the reference of the beginning is the beginning of the beginning, right? Not uh, the beginning of Yeshua's life, 
But in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when he says here, what was from the beginning, and he's relating now directly uh, to Yeshua, and he gives an eyewitness account that Yeshua was a real person. Remember that uh, there are some underlying issues that we may not face directly uh, in this passage, but, but we do uh, in our own world in varieties of ways. So he's he is making a case that Yeshua was a real person who was really the Lord. And, uh, you know, right from the get-go, by the end of the first century, this was already a dispute of sorts. And you had people infiltrating into the community of believers, teaching wrong things uh, about the nature of Yeshua. And we said a few weeks ago that, just to refresh our mind, is that it was scandalous. The, the enfleshment of God in this world is scandalous to everybody. Meaning that to Jewish people, how could a man be God? To the Greek world, how could, how could a God or how could a, you know, the, the invisible God or an invisible God become man? See, this was scandalous. We have a hard time with it because we don't all come from either a Jewish background or a pagan background. But everybody in that day did. See, it wasn't like people grew up in a, you know, in a uh, mainline denominational church and then came to faith and then discovered the Jewish uh, roots of the faith or something. It's a, you know, that's our world. This, that was not this world. In this world, this was all a very new idea altogether. And so John is uh, coming to straighten them out a little bit uh, so that they realize that the physical life of Yeshua, the enfleshment of God, is absolutely central to faith and central to practice. And, you know, I'm just going to pause there. I didn't even have this in my uh, notes here. I'm going to pause there and say that, you know, we often don't pay enough attention to the life of Yeshua. We pay a lot of attention to the, uh, you know, as to, to the Ruach, to the Spirit of God. And, and, you know, and rightly, of course, we should. But we don't pay oftentimes enough attention to Yeshua's life and enough attention to the Gospels, to what we read in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about the life of Yeshua, what he said and how he conducted himself. Because when you read the letters of Paul and the book of James and John here and, and, and everything else, they're referencing back to the life of Yeshua in a variety of ways and their end then all the way back. Uh, and, uh, and so John is reminding us here uh, of, of the, um, the reality and of the importance of the physical life of Yeshua. But we've covered verses 1 and 2, and uh, last time uh, we began by uh, talking about the life, uh, how Yeshua is called the life. Uh, and that's kind of interesting uh, here in uh, verses 1 and 2 also. Yeshua is called the word of life, he's called the life, and he's called eternal life. He is indeed the life of God in this world. Uh, and I, I, I said this last time, but it bears repeating, that when we say we have eternal life, it doesn't mean that my physical life, as I know it, will just live forever. It means 
that I am now identified in his life, in God's life, in the life of God in the flesh. And I am identified in that life forever. See, that is a very important truth for us to get. And that is why we can be empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. What the presence of the Holy Spirit of the Ruach is in our lives is the presence of God in our lives. Uh, is the presence of the Lord in our lives. Via, you could say, Yeshua dwells within us via the Ruach HaKodesh. Via the Holy Spirit. So now we have a relationship with God that uh, was not had before. That kind of intimacy where God has implanted, so to speak, his own life within us. By the way, this is one of the good things about systematic theology, uh, to learn things like this. This is what we might call the mechanics of our faith. And so many of us really, my guess is, never really get this and understand this. That God has implanted within us his life. That's what it means when we read, like in John chapter 15, and a number of times, as we'll see here in, in this uh, letter, the word abide. We abide in him, he abides in us. We dwell in, meno in Greek, abide in, be at home in him. That we dwell in him. This is a spiritual transaction that has taken place that does not necessarily come with feelings uh, or anything. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place. It's part of what it means when we say we believe in Yeshua or we embrace Yeshua. It's not just simply, now I'll add this to my statement of beliefs, and if I simply uh, 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 assent to a belief, that's what it is. No. It is God, while we were yet sinners, Messiah came into this Lord, into this world, and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And when we embrace him, when we hear the message, and when we embrace him, we become part of that event that took place 2,000 years ago. And we therefore share in this life of God with him and with those first believers in Yeshua and the whole chain of true Messiah followers ever since. This is crucial to understand and to remember so that when we come to crises in our lives, we know in whom we live and dwell. And so therefore, that's why we could say uh, that I am crucified with the Messiah. And it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. That's what he means by that. In other words, he's not literally dead. It's not like he literally died. It was literally crucified. But he's describing the spiritual transaction that took place. Now, that is so important in those first two verses to understand the definition of Yeshua, so to speak, or the name of Yeshua as life. He is the life of God broken into this world. And when we embrace him, we participate in that life. Okay? Now, in Romans, we're, gonna, we're going to get to verse 3 in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 6, I want us to take a look here uh, at verse um, 4 and following. He says here, Therefore we have been buried with him through immersion, 
into death in order that as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Okay? In other words, he's saying we're identified in his death and in his resurrection, this newness of life. That's how we need to remember and understand our life. It's not anymore like in my life. It's not anymore just Howard's life extended or Howard's life empowered. No, it's now I participate in his life and that flesh is what the, the, the fight between the spirit and the flesh is while I participate in his life, I'm still me. And oftentimes, of course, I'll say, I gotta be me, right? You know, and that's uh, unfortunate in a sense, but that's what we mean by experiencing the future today. See, very important to understand. And God is in the process of, trans- of continually transforming us, and that's what we mean by progressive sanctification. Okay, that's what we mean by that, a progressive holiness. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts or a bunch of, uh, of hoops to jump through, but God is in the process of transforming us to be conformed to the image of the Son. More of his control of my life or permeation of my life via the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay, so he says here, Uh, Then in verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay? Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's saying, we're no longer slaves to... We still sin. We're no longer slaves to sin because we now participate or share in his life. And so, in the mechanics of what has taken place, he has, like, pulled out that, um, you know, like in a car. Like, uh, he's pulled out that, like, something or other. <laughs> Listen, I know where the key goes, but, you know, he's pulled out, boom, you know, that thing that, uh, you know, so now we're not going to be powered by sin, right? Now, we share in his life. But there's a key to all this. And you're saying, well, how come I don't seem to be... Experience Oh, we're going to get to that. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But that life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. So he's saying, you see, this is what happened to him. Identify yourself in him. But notice in verses 6, 9, and 11, he begins those verses knowing this, knowing that, consider yourselves. He's saying, Remember that this has happened. Remember that this is who you are. One of the biggest problems that we have is that we either forget or we have never really learned our identity in Messiah. And we understand our salvation. We understand that he takes away my sins. We understand that he died for my sins. And we understand that he rose from the dead. But we have so little real understanding of, of how to negotiate this life in the Lord. You know, oftentimes I think we really do live as if I prayed to know the Lord, now I'm waiting to die, and then 
there's eternal life. Or we'll say, no, eternal life starts now, but we think it's just my life extended. But there is great empowerment when we remember that our life is hidden in him, that, that he is our life. When we remember that, either by reading these things over and over again, or uh, memorizing verses, or uh, however you remember things, when you remember these things, and you really identify that way, that's how we can say with authority and power, as we said last week, God is my refuge. You can't muster that up. You know, God is my refuge doesn't work on just like a doctrinal statement. You know, there's a relational aspect here. There's a relational aspect. And this is what, now going back to John, First uh, John, what he's trying to do here. Okay. We're going to come back to this remembering thing in a minute. But let's go back here to 1 John. Because not only does he want us to know that Yeshua is our life, but he also wants us to know how we relate to him. So he says now, in verse 3, he repeats what we have seen and we heard. Okay, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, uh, Yeshua the Messiah. And these things we write so that our joy may be made uh, uh, complete. So, so that our joy uh, may be made uh, complete. Okay, now, it's interesting uh, that uh, he says here, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us. I want to read a little paragraph. I actually was going to read several more paragraphs. We're going to read one paragraph from a little uh, commentary on 1 John by uh, N.T. Wright, actually. But it's, it's sort of like a popular little commentary. So he says, It may seem strange that simply telling people about Yeshua is the appointed means by which such a momentous thing as this fellowship can be extended to include new members. But John is very much aware that the opening move in the whole game was made by God himself as an act not of silent display, but of verbal communication. Yeshua was not only life in person, he was the word of life. Life as word. Life turned into speech. God's speech. God's self-communication to his people. And through them to the wider world. In John's gospel, of course, he refers to Yeshua simply as the word. The word who became flesh. The point is this, God has spoken in Yeshua, and God now speaks through the words which Yeshua's friends speak and write about him to others also, in the intention and hope that they will come to share the same fellowship. That is the point of the letter. And he said that that should be our prayer as we read it. So this issue of proclaiming is very interesting. That, again, as human beings, the way that we receive... The, the, the truth about the Lord, generally speaking, is we hear it. The word is proclaimed. But it's not my word. It's not just uh, some, uh, an interesting word. It is the truth about the reality of Yeshua. And then there, there is power in that proclamation. That's the good news. The evangel. The, the, the good news. 
okay, is uh, this message about the coming into the world of the life, of the life of God in Messiah Yeshua. And so he's saying this to them that they would share this fellowship. Now he's writing to people who have embraced Yeshua. So may I suggest that when he's proclaiming to them, he's reminding them. So whether the proclamation is to uh, those who have never heard or to us even right now, he wants them to be assured, to be solidified, and to know that they are organically, spiritually related to God and to these first believers. And if it was true for the younger believers at the end of the first century, it's true for the much younger believers in the beginning of the 21st century. Okay? Uh, and so we need to receive that, that proclamation, and remember this fellowship that we have. Now, that's an interesting word, right? This fellowship uh, that we have. We have this shared life of God, koinonia, right? Uh, a partnership, a sharing uh, with others. Uh, and it's a particular kind of sharing uh, with others. When he says, we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim to you that you also may have fellowship with us. You may have this shared life. In this context, this shared life with us. And indeed, our shared life is with the Father and with His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. Okay? Yeshua the Messiah. Okay? So, we have this shared life with them and with God. Now, as believers, when we talk about this shared life, we throw the word around a lot about what that means, right? Sometimes, as uh, believers, we say we might have fellowship with somebody because we like the same translation of the Bible. We have fellowship uh, with each other. We, 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 what we share is the fact that we have young children together. Uh, or we share that we like, uh, we like to ski together. Or we share because we, like, uh, we have the same hobbies uh, uh, together. Uh, or even this, that we worship uh, in a Jewish way together. But that is not what he's talking about. None of that is what he's talking about here, okay? Because lots of people can be parts of organizations and institutions and clubs for all kinds of varieties of purposes. And so when he talks here about fellowship, we must be careful not to institutionalize it. That we're not talking about an, an institution. We're talking about a, a relationship with a God. Okay? Uh, and that is very important. Nobody has a relationship with Beth Messiah. Okay, Beth, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we have a relationship with God. And therefore, we have, we have relationship with each other. But it's not an organization. It is a, a communal life in God that has particular ramifications. It means, one thing that it means is that it's not based on what I look like, where I'm from. Uh, it's not based on anything other than shared life in God and Yeshua. Now, that does not mean that we, can't, we don't congregate together. Certainly, that's fine. 
there are lots of communities of Messiah followers that meet together for varieties of reasons. We are because we have a shared vision uh, of, uh, you know, of Jewish uh, ministry, of, uh, you know, of being a place uh, for Jewish believers to live out a Jewish life, for uh, those who are not Jewish to come uh, and to enjoy that life as well, uh, and to learn the scriptures uh, you know, from a messianic understanding, all of that. But our ground fellowship is shared life in the Lord. Okay? We need to remember that. And, and, uh, and so we see here, uh, this is what he, um, you know, what he is driving at. That's why he's, so that they would know that they have this shared life. Now, Paul talks about this shared life in Philippians. And he says something interesting in chapter 2 that's kind of similar to the beginning of 1 John. Did they compare notes? Anyway, at the beginning of chapter 2, of course the temptation is just to read the entire chapter, but I will not do that. But in Philippians chapter 2, he says, If, there, if therefore there is any encouragement... Oh, I, need, uh, I have to start in verse 29 of chapter 1. Or should we go to Genesis 1-1 and begin? No. He says in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Messiah's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name. So suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Okay? Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, Make my joy complete, which is exactly what John says in verse 4 of 1 John. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So, in fellowship, part of what that means as it plays out, may I suggest, is that we have the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In the huge picture, and that is of uh, being uh, uh, image bearers of God in Messiah Yeshua. And that we don't uh, uh, go off um, uh, with um, uh, varieties of, uh, of beliefs or, uh, uh, or off on tangents and, and things of that. Now, it doesn't mean we're all the same. It doesn't mean we're all... Uh, you know, uh, that we uh, are just like uh, little robots or anything like that. There's great diversity in the body of Messiah. But if we have fellowship with God, if we share the life of God with Him and with those who trust in Him, then therefore we will have His purpose in mind. We will have His unity. Did you know that? That unity comes with the package of knowing the Lord. What we do is we break the unity. We don't create unity. You know that? We don't create unity. Unity is the very nature of God. We destroy unity by the flesh. But when we dwell in him and when we remember it, we share this vision of being Messiah-like. 
and of living in such a way that characterizes the presence of God, like forgiving one another, loving one another, um, the fruit of the Spirit um, uh, being manifested in our midst, and, and so on and so forth. Okay? Uh, that is what we're called to be and do. What he's saying here, by the way, is if we're called to suffer for his sake, we need to be one. We need to recognize who we are so that there's no conflict within. And in Philippians, he's dealing with some of that. That stop this conflict within because recognize what you're called to be in the face of this world. See, But that's, in a sense, uh, what this uh, uh, fellowship is. And again, I can't say it enough. You may have heard this before, but my challenge, the challenge to all of us is to remember it and therefore to live it, that my life is in him, my life is bound up in him. Therefore, I live a certain way. Therefore, I become prepared for anything because my life is bound up in his. I abide in him. Therefore, wow, he really is my light. He really is my, uh, my salvation. Now, this, this idea of remembering is uh, very interesting and not something that is uh, only in the New Covenant. You know that in the book of um, Deuteronomy, remember the uh, situation there? The people are at, uh, they're, they're poised to enter the land. Okay? I want to read you a few verses from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Okay? Verse 10 and following is an admonition to remember the proclamation, to remember the announcement, to remember what happened at Sinai. In chapter 5, and verse 15, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. In chapter 7, in verse 18, And you shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Okay? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. In chapter 8, in verse 2, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And then down in verse 18 of chapter 8, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then, interestingly enough, in chapter 9, in verse 7, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. In verse 27 of chapter 9, he says, Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at the, the wickedness of their sins. Interestingly, in chapter 15, in verse 15, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you, 
uh, this day. Okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 16, in verse 3, he says, uh, You shall not eat leavened bread. He's talking about Passover. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with it unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, in order that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Uh, in verse 12, And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, we read in verse 9, Remember what the Lord did, the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. He says in verse 18 of chapter 24, But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. In verse 22 he says, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. He says that again. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I know you're going to be surprised. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all your generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. Isn't that interesting? As the Jewish people are poised to go into, into the land, what does Moses say over and over and over again? Remember. Remember who you are. Remember where you come from. Remember what God did in your lives. Remember what you're called to be. Remember to live the way that I called you to live. Remember. It wasn't just, I took you out of Egypt and just, uh, you'll see that, uh, uh, you know, mystically, you will live a certain way. He says, no, it's like concrete. Remember, tell your children, right? And of course, the Shema, uh, you know, in, in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, you know, to love God completely, and, and then you're going in and you're coming out and teach it diligently to your children, diligently, over and over again, Right? that we are supposed to learn this and we are supposed to remember this because, because real life-changing power comes when we use the faculties that God gave us as human beings created in His image and likeness to dwell in Him. That's what it means to have a renewed mind. That's what it means when we say uh, to be conformed to his image. We need to remember who he is, remember what he did, and to remember who we are in him. As we live that way, as we remember that, we will live that way. We will cultivate a lifestyle of identifying in the Lord. And we will cultivate it in such a way that we can turn to a psalm like Psalm 63 that says, O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee. We will thirst and really yearn for God when we remember who we are. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory, because thy loving kindness is better than life. 
How could he have the audacity to say, thy loving kindness is better than life and really mean it? I mean, really mean it's better than life? What's better than life, right? What he has experienced is from as much as possible before the Messiah came to experience an intimacy with God. That's what this, the, the psalmist is, is uh, describing. This kind of life of intimacy with God. And he could say, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee, so I will bless thee as long as I live. Look at verse 5. Uh, or, well, continue. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. Wow! Wouldn't it be great to live in that kind of satisfaction? That is the satisfaction that, that we cultivate when we remember who we are, when we read these words, when we have it proclaimed to us. Or when we proclaim it to others, when we share in our uh, fellowship with each other. You know, it's interesting, in Psalm 90, the first verse says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place to all generations. That's an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse. What do you mean, you have been our dwelling place? God has been our dwelling place? I thought that that only happened after Messiah came. Wait a minute. This is in that Old Testament. But that's what it says. Right? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In Messiah, it becomes in living color, so to speak. In Messiah, it becomes the, you know, what those who had a taste of it beforehand yearned for. We are the recipients of that. But why don't we recognize it? Because we don't remember it and we get caught up in the thorns and thistles of everything going on in our life and our world. And we kind of come to this idea that my life in the Lord is my life extended through struggle and tribulation and difficulty. I will get there. But it's his life in which we dwell. See? And yes, it is still me with the flesh but empowered by this shared life in God and with one another. And so that is why it is so important that we demonstrate this. We need to ask ourselves, how do we facilitate? How do we facilitate this life in our midst? Because this shared life is, yes, with God alone, but with each other. How do we facilitate it? Well, we facilitate it here in a few different ways. And we'll finish just, you know, with... Uh, with uh, these ways. First of all, our own egg, you know, uh, uh, being on an own egg team and participating in the own egg luncheon is a very important time of sharing this life together, of not just schmoozing. That's not so bad. That's okay too, you know, but of sharing with one another, sharing uh, a testimony of what God has done in your life, or a verse of scripture that's been meaningful to you. Do you realize what's happening when we have that interaction? God is in our midst. And that is exactly, by the way, we won't turn there, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul begins to talk about the abuse of spiritual gifts, which is what the chapter is about, right? He defines them as for the common good. He defines them as for the common good, not for my own personal jollies, you know, 
uh, or uh, for me to, to uh, have some kind of my own personal experience with God. It's very interesting that it says, you can read it, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the common good. And that is that God, by his grace, uses each of us as we interact in varieties of ways uh, in the lives of each other. In our verbal communication, uh, with a hug, with a, with a smile, whatever it takes, God is in our midst. Not just, you know, in my own personal situation, and you have your own personal situation, we get to share personal situations. No, that there is this organic relationship between us, that God is in our midst and he's in and around us. You know, uh, and, and so very, very important to understand, uh, we have the, um, the Onik. Also, we have a few Chavurah groups, right? Uh, we have the early uh, Shabbat morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, men and women, uh, and other groups, other ones to come. Uh, you know, in the loop is a, a prayer Chavurah coming, uh, and other opportunities, but also non-institutional <laughs> non-institutional fellowship, meaning getting together when people get just, let's have a cup of coffee, let's have lunch, let's have dinner. Very important, we're building each other up in the Lord. And I've said this a million times and I mean it completely 100%, and that is that when I meet with people, no matter for what reason or what's going on, the river runs both ways. And I receive as well as give. Very important uh, you know, that we uh, understand that, okay? Varieties of uh, groupings, okay? And, uh, and that is indeed uh, what builds us up. Uh, that is indeed uh, uh, how we are called to, to live. And the stronger that fellowship, the stronger we will be, and the stronger that, therefore, we have a testimony in this world. So that means, that's why there is no enmity. How can there be enmity in fellowship? It, it, it's not defined that way. See? That's why in the body of Messiah there can be no enmity. There, uh, there can't be hatreds or envyings and jealousies and all of the works of the flesh that you read about. Uh, you know, uh, that uh, does not compute in the, in the fellowship uh, that we share uh, uh, together. Uh, and so, uh, uh, as we um, come back here to 1 John, may we have joy as we hear that, and as we understand that, and as we live that way, and as we remember that, and as we remind each other of that. You know, there are times in our lives when we need to be reminded of who we are in the Lord. It's part of that fellowship uh, that uh, we have together. Okay? And so, what a great message of encouragement that is uh, to us. And may we remember it. And may we indeed demonstrate it in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, may we remember always by either uh, reading it over and over again, or by memorizing it, or by saying it out loud, or by sharing it with another person, who we are in you, Lord. God, may we realize that you have created us in such a way that no matter what our outward circumstance may be, 
That is why our hope is always in you, because we have this fellowship with you, this shared life in you, and that life is full of hope, Lord. And so, God, thank you that no matter what the circumstance may be, my life is in you. And, Lord, thank you that you will never cast out those who belong to you. Lord, thank you for that assurance. And thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you brought your life into this very world so that we could share that life in, ad in advance of that physical resurrection. Lord, thank you that you have empowered us and thank you that you have not left, here, left us here to our own devices to try to figure it out, but via the Ruach HaKodesh, Lord, we can experience, indeed, your presence. We pray in Messiah's name.